Well, God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord Christian Fellowship, coming to you this Easter morning, the 12th of April, 2020, with our third installment for the week. We normally have two, but we did three this week because we had a Good Friday message. So this is our third installment of the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We're going to continue talking about uh, how do we grow in grace? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. How do we grow? How do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever? How do we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after studying First John? We've already studied First John. Uh, which has five chapters, and now we're going back and, and saying, how do we grow in grace? Because if we don't grow from studying First John, then we haven't accomplished anything. If we don't take God's word and apply it to our lives, if we don't have a practical application after we've studied biblical doctrine, if we don't have a, a practical application, then we really haven't accomplished anything. The Bible says if you, if you see God's word and, and there's no application in your life, it's like looking at a mirror and then walking away from the mirror and forgetting what you've seen. So how do we grow in grace? And I'm going to continue to mention those words, those five letters, I should say, of the word grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. How do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after studying because we've already studied it, after studying First John. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you. We praise you. Thank you that Jesus, Lord, not only was crucified for our sins, but you certainly did raise him from the dead. You bodily raised him from, from the dead and showed him alive to, to many brethren, Lord, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And speaking of the things that pertain to the kingdom of God, blessed be your name, Lord. You've allowed us to be part of that kingdom, not by our works, not by our righteousness, by not by our own effort, but purely by your grace. Blessed be your name, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to mention your name. We pray that as a result of this preaching and teaching, that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit will be the result, as well as from preaching and teaching all over the world. We pray for those pastors, those leaders, those bishops, those elders. We pray for those who have to make adjustments in their church schedules, in their churches, Lord. We pray for them that you would give them wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We pray for churches that love your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll bless them, continue to bless them financially. Bless them, Lord, spiritually, although their congregations are physically scattered. We pray that they will be one in the spirit, Lord God. And that is the Holy Spirit of your dear son, Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, your Lord, yet we love him. Though we've never seen him, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and that full of glory. We thank you through Jesus. We pray that, Lord. We will speak the truth to your people, the truth of the gospel, that we would not just speak our own opinions, that we would not speak the opinions of men, but we will speak the word of the living God. We bless you and we praise you and we thank you. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, here we go. So now we're still in 1 John chapter 2. And uh, we left off at Ephesians. We, we, we went from 1 John 2. But we had to touch on Psalm 2 and we touched on Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, where it talks about we, 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 we are to put on the whole armor of God because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. We do wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
we do wrestle against Satan's kingdom. And the only way we can successfully wrestle against Satan's kingdom is to put on the whole armor of God, not the half armor, not the three quarters armor, not the two thirds armor. We've got to put on the whole armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness. We've got to have our loins girded about with truth. We've got to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We've got to have the sword of the spirit. We've got to have the helmet of salvation. We've got to have all those things. If I, if I left out any part, then please forgive me. Let's see, let me go to it right now. I may have left out one or two of those pieces because I said, I made the point Friday that if you have on everything, but yet you don't have on the sword of the spirit, then you're still naked and undressed and the enemy will be able to have the victory over you because the sword of the spirit is indeed the word of God. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, although it, it, appear, it often appears that we do. We wrestle, those of us who are believers, we wrestle against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Satan has an organized kingdom. Satan has an organized kingdom. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself said so because they accused Jesus of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Jesus said it doesn't make any sense for Satan to cast out Satan. How then would his kingdom stand, which we know his kingdom is not going to stand forever anyway, but Jesus, our Lord, was making a point. How shall his kingdom stand if, if Satan is casting out Satan? So right there, the Lord Jesus was letting us know Satan has an organized, and when I say organized, I mean very organized. Satan has a very organized uh, a military um, a leadership stru um, structure, etc. He's not, we're not playing with, um, you know, the, the triple C team here, we're playing against, or we're warring against, I should say, we're warring against a very organized, wicked, satanic kingdom. And I kind of wish, you know, when they're, when, they're, when they're interviewing these preachers on TV, these high profile preachers, and they're asking, you know, what's going on in the world today, I haven't heard one of them say, well, the, the earth is fallen, and the earth is in the hands of the wicked one. The Bible says the whole world lies in the in the in the stranglehold of the wicked one and i don't know why not one of these preachers has mentioned that the, that that the earth is fallen and so because the earth is fallen you're going to get these viruses and these plagues and these pestilences and famines and earthquakes in different places wars and rumors of wars jesus said these things would occur these things would take place in the last days we're living in the last days if we were living in the last days when in when the bible when, uh, when, when the church was uh, first born 2,000 years ago, then we certainly have to be living in the last days today. And I don't know, for some strange reason, whether it's Catholic or Protestant, none of these preachers will mention Satan. They won't mention the devil. And I don't know why. It's not a sin to say, yeah, this is, you know, the, this is a satanic, uh, the, the earth is under the realm of the wicked one. It's almost like... It's almost like we've been deceived into believing that there is no devil when there is a devil. The Bible says, Paul says right here, spiritual wickedness in high places. Before Satan fooled Adam and Eve, he, he, he deceived Eve. Adam sinned willfully. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, there were no famines. There were no plagues. There were no pestilences. There was no cancer. There was no HIV AIDS. There was no Alzheimer's. There was no dementia. There was no diabetes. There were no miscarriages. There were no abortions. And the Bible says even now the world lies in the stranglehold of the wicked one. The wicked one is Satan. And I just don't understand when they're interviewing. And these are high profile preachers with hundreds and thousands, in some cases, of pastors under them. 
And none of them will even mention the fact, even if you don't mention the word Satan, which I don't see why it's a sin to do so, even if you don't mention the word Satan, at least say the earth is fallen. At least, at least it's almost like we don't believe the prophetic scriptures. Nobody is speaking about prophecy. Uh, it's almost like it's a lot of happy talk. And, and I know these, these men want to give hope, but you've got to look at also the other side of the coin. The prophecy is being fulfilled with, with these famines and plagues, pestilences, uh, viruses that men don't understand and, and can't control. This is all a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And I'm just not understanding why it's not even being mentioned. I'm talking about high-profile preachers, not just Catholic, but Protestant, not just Protestant, but Catholic, as well as Jewish. And I just don't understand that. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high, Paul says, high places. High places. Go back to Daniel chapter 10 when you get a chance and, and look at the the uh, the cosmic struggle that occurred when there was an angel coming to deliver a prophetic message to Daniel and how the angel had to war against the prince of Persia. And it is thought that that prince of Persia was a demonic entity that had uh, control over that country. So go back and look at that when you get a chance. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, Paul says, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. That's two pieces. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's three pieces. Above all, take you the shield of faith. That's four pieces. Listen to what he says. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All the fiery, because Satan comes, he slings fiery darts at us to cause us to doubt, to cause us to be distracted. All the fiery darts of the wicked. What is the shield? It's the shield of faith. What is the opposite of faith? Fear and doubt. So Satan comes to cause us to fear and doubt, even to doubt the promises of God. So the Bible says we are to take on the, to, uh, he says, Paul says, above all, take you the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fire. He says all the fiery darts of the wicked. All right, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects your head. In the spiritual sense, it, it's, it's, it's protecting your mind because Satan is going to come against your mind to make you doubt, to make you doubt, to make you worry, to make you fret. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you take all those things and don't take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, you're incomplete. Then he says, praying always. We can never give up praying as, as discouraged as we may be. As much as it might seem like our prayers are not being heard or answered. Paul said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Praying by the Holy Ghost, whatever that means, whether it's speaking in tongues or whether it's a praying according to God's word and God's will. Praying in the spirit and the, and the spirit, the word spirit is, is an uppercase S. So it's talking about the Holy Spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So even though even after we have on this, um, I heard one person preach years ago, he preached a sermon called the six piece suit. So even though we may have on the six-piece suit, but we still have to be vigilant. We still have to be diligent and praying with, with, with our perseverance and supplication for all saints. 
So we have to always be in a posture and a mindset of prayer. We must always pray. All right, so that was where we left off on Friday. We left off with Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. We, if we grow in grace, God's riches at Christ's, God's riches at Christ's expense. If we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will do these things. People who are mature Christians will do these things. They'll put on the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. They'll have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Preparation of the gospel. We must be prepared to walk in the gospel, to give answers to those who ask why we have such hope in Jesus Christ. We must, walk, we must have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We must have our loins girded by with truth. We must walk not in our own truth. We must walk in the truth of the gospel. Never try to walk in your truth. Oh, honey, go walk in your truth. You walk in your truth, you're going to be in trouble. The Bible says walk in the truth of the gospel. The Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. All right, so we left off at Ephesians 6, 10. So we're growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We, we don't want to remain babies. We don't want to remain baby Christians. We want to drink the milk as a baby would, but eventually the baby goes from Similac or formula, whatever the formula name, Infamil, whatever the formula may be. The baby goes from the formula to uh, solid food. So we want to go to solid food. We, wanna, we, we don't want to remain uh, spiritual babies. It is not the will of God in any church that that church remain um, uh, just a bunch of spiritual babies. Now, now new, new believers are always coming in. That's good. That's evangelism. That's the church being replenished with new believers and new generations of believers. It is not the will of God that there be churches that are always 10, 20, 30, 40 years of baby churches. That, that, that's not scriptural. That is not scriptural. And so let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, we're talking about warring against those powers, growing in grace and manifesting that growth by warring against those powers that have maliciously aligned. See, Jesus is risen from the dead. And Satan hates that. He thought he had, he thought he had Jesus on the cross. Jesus said, I laid down my life. I've received this commandment from my father. Nobody takes my life from me. I've received this commandment from my father. Jesus rose from the dead, bodily rose from the, from the dead after the Sabbath. So let's assume it was the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Now that he has risen from the dead and has ascended back to the right hand of the glory on high, he, has, he, he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the New Testament church. So now that we have the Holy Spirit, now we have a commandment to put on the whole armor of God and to, and to uh, walk in weapons of warfare that are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So really, he, he's saying the same thing here in 2 Corinthians that he was saying in Ephesians 6. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. If we war according to the flesh, we'll lose. Because we're, we're, we're not fighting a fleshly entity. We're fighting against spiritual wickedness. Paul said in high places, principalities, powers, evil, evil forces. Again, Satan is, a very, Satan is very organized. He has a very organized uh, kingdom. Jesus said he has a kingdom. 
The songwriter said, Satan, we're going, to care, we're going to tear your kingdom down. So Satan has a very organized kingdom. He has demons. Uh, if you look in, in the book of Revelation, there, 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 there's, there's uh, Satan, but there's also demonic activity. Satan's underlings, Satan's subordinates, Satan's lieutenants. If you look at other places in the Bible, uh, especially in the Gospels, there was, there was a great deal of satanic activity when Jesus walked the earth. But the, de but the demons recognized who Jesus was. We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Why have you come to torment us before the time? So there was a, uh, there was a tremendous manifestation of, of demonic activity when Jesus walked the earth. So Paul says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Again, going back to Ephesians, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God. Then Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. strongholds. Pulling down strongholds, those strongholds that resist the kingdom authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those strongholds that resist the kingdom authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, those arguments that 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 resist the word of God and the kingdom authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ casting down arguments in every high thing notice Paul said in Ephesians spiritual wickedness in high places he says here in 2nd Corinthians casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself listen to this exalts itself against the knowledge of God you see that Go back to the Garden of Eden. What did Satan do? What did the serpent do? He exalted himself against the knowledge of God. Eve said, God has said we may eat of every tree of the fruit of the, of, of the, uh, uh, we may eat of the fruit of every tree of the Garden of Good and Evil, but, but we may not eat nor touch the, uh, the uh, fruit of the tree of, of good and evil, or the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan exalted himself against the knowledge, against the authority, against the commandments of God. Satan said, God didn't say that. You shall not die. He exalted himself. He called God a liar. He said, you shall not die. For God does know in the day that you eat of it, you shall, your eyes shall be open. You shall be like God, knowing, like God, knowing all things. Satan exalted himself against the knowledge of God. Satan exalted himself against the authority of God. Satan exalted himself against the commandment that God had given to Adam and Eve. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exhausts itself against the knowledge of God. These are mature Christians doing this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The thought, the thought life, the thought life of the believer. Warring against the thoughts of unbelievers who come, who, and when the Bible says A, the unbelievers say no, it should be B. The Bible says it should be A, B, and C. No, the unbeliever says no, it should be D, E, and F. Casting down, uh, uh, casting down all of these thoughts that come against the authority of God in Christ. Again, we read the second Psalm on Friday. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of this world, the princes of this world that set themselves against God and against his Christ because they don't want to come under kingdom authority. <clears throat> Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The obedience of Christ. If he's Lord, we've got to obey him the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We grow in grace when we, are, when we are willing and ready to engage 
in this spiritual warfare. We demonstrate our power over this wicked age by walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We demonstrate our power over this wicked age. We demonstrate that we are growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We demonstrate our power over this wicked age. The, the King James will use the word world, but he's not talking about the physical world, the trees, the rivers, the flowers, etc., the birds and the bees and all that. He's saying the cosmos, this age, this wicked age. We're in an age of grace, but we're also in an age of wickedness because Satan has this organized kingdom. Although he was defeated at the cross, his total defeat has not yet been manifested. I always use the analogy of the sporting event. One team might be winning 40 to nothing at halftime, but you still have to play the whole game. You have to play the whole game. The whole game has to be played out. So Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. So you ask, well, then why is Satan still wreaking havoc? Because God is still allowing certain events, certain historical and prophetic events to be played out. He's allowing history to play itself out. God is in control. He's allowing uh, wickedness. He's allowing satanic, uh, the, the Satan's kingdom to continue to, to a certain extent, rule this world. That's God doing that. We don't understand completely why, but that's why he's God and we're not. So we, have, we, we demonstrate our power over this wicked age. Our power is not ours. It's the power of the Lord within us, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We demonstrate the authority that God has given us through the Holy Spirit. We demonstrate our power over this wicked age by walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is going to be the opposite of the flesh, the fruit of the world. The fruit of the world is, as Paul is going to mention here in a second when I read this passage, the fruit of the world, the way of the world is going to be the exact opposite of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the outgrowth of when we, when we allow the Holy Spirit to rule our lives. That's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, just like a tree produces fruit. The Holy Spirit is that tree, Right? that produces the fruit, or, or you could even say we are the tree, and the Holy Spirit is the nourishment of the tree, the water, the nutrients, etc., that nourish the tree, and then we produce the fruit. So you've got the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read that to you from Galatians. I'm going to also read it to you from Second Peter, because they both almost parallel. We walk in Christian growth and maturity, we grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the opposite of the works of the flesh. That's, that's, the, that's the expression the Apostle Paul is going to use. Peter's going to say almost the same thing. He may, not, he may not use the same terminology, but we grow in grace when we walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 5, he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. People still trying to fulfill the law in, 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 by legalistic means. Paul says, cut it out. <laughs> you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor as yourself and you love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you fulfill the law and the prophets. But people still want to fulfill, oh, we're going to do... 
you got to go to church on Saturday. You got to do this and that. They're, they're wasting their time. Paul says all the law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, but if you bite and devour each other, take care that you are not consumed by one another. We would, we would do well to learn that today in politics and the church. If you bite and devour one another, take, take heed, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Then he says, walk, in, walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That's what John meant when John said in, his, in this epistle that we're summarizing, when he said, if you're born of God, you can't sin. What he's saying is, if you walk in the spirit, you can't sin. It is, only, it is only when we get outside of the realm of the Holy Spirit that we sin. It is only when, because even though we're Christians, we still have a will. And in many cases, we can be self-willed. That's why the Bible says if you call somebody to be a bishop or a pastor, that person can't be self-willed because that a self-willed, the worst thing you can have, whether in politics, as we see, or in the church is a self-willed leader. That there's, that's trouble. <laughs> You're, he's going to, he or she is going to lead people down to Jonestown or wherever. So the Bible says that walk in the spirit, you would not carry out the desire of the flesh for the flesh sets its, its desire against the spirit. This is, war, this is warfare here. And it's only when we grow in grace that we can be successful in this warfare. He says the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. See, before you got saved, before I got saved, it was just the flesh. The flesh said, do it, we did it. The flesh said, do it, we did it. The flesh said, go after it, we went after it. The flesh said, desire it, we desired it. The flesh said, spend a lot of time going after it, we did that. There was really no warfare because there was only one army that we were that we were part of. Now we're on the Lord's side, but the army on the other side is still trying to um, entice us and control us. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul is saying it's a struggle. John says, don't sin. John says, if you obey God, you cannot sin. Paul is saying the same thing, but Paul is saying here, but it's a struggle. And, and, and as I've said before, and many others have said before, you're going to struggle with something for the rest of your life. It's going to be something. You may overcome A, B, C, D, E, and F, but you're still going to struggle with G. And, you, and you're gonna, there's going to be a struggle because we're living in a human body. So until the undertaker or the upper taker, who is Jesus, until one of them comes to get us, you're going to struggle with something. There's going to be something that you're going to have to continually deal with. Something. It could be something from your past. Uh, it could be something that maybe you didn't deal with until you got saved. There are some things that 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 I didn't I didn't have to deal with as a child and as a teenager and as a young man. I got saved when I was 22. But there are some things that I have to struggle with now that I didn't even have to. I didn't even I didn't even know about. It. I didn't even deal with. Until I got saved and then certain other things were introduced into my life. And now I have to struggle with those things. So there's going to be a constant struggle with something. He says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who, walk, who, who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Holy Spirit. We're not under the law. It doesn't mean we're not under man's law. It's saying that we are not under the law of condemnation, which was the law of Moses. 
He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. See, we grow in grace when we put aside the deeds of the flesh. As long as we, as long as we stumble and mumble and, and dabble in the deeds of the flesh, we're not growing in grace. We, we, we've got we've to walk away as, as, as much as we might not want to. As much as, we, as much as we might want to engage in the works of the flesh because they satisfy our flesh. Let's just face it. As much as we might want to engage in these things, if, if we're going to grow, and that's a choice that we have to make because we have a will. We have, to, we have to say no. I always pray, Lord, help me to say no to sin. And yes to righteousness, which is in your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You, ha you, you have to make a conscious decision. Now, I don't care how many collars you're wearing and crosses around your neck and how many ordination papers are on your office wall at, in, in your pastorate, uh, 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 n uh, how much you fast and... You still have a will and you have to say no to sin. Just as Jesus said no when Satan tempted him uh, in the wilderness. Jesus said, and Jesus, Jesus used the sword of the spirit that Paul talked about in Ephesians. Jesus said, he, he quoted Deuteronomy each time. And, and he said, no, it is written. No, it is written. Satan, get out of my face. It is written. And the Bible says Satan departed from him until an opportune time. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are evident. Immorality, which in the King James would be fornication. Fornication is really the umbrella term for any sexual activity outside the will of God. It could be heterosexual. It could be homosexual. For, and then under that umbrella, you have adultery, pedophilia, sex with children, necrophilia, sex with the dead, bestiality, uh, sex with animals, etc. Homosexual sex, heterosexual sex outside of heterosexual marriage. So fornication is really the umbrella, is, is the umbrella. It comes from the Greek word porneia, from where we get the word pornography. So he says immorality, I'm not reading the King James here, this is the New American Standard Bible. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, these are the works of the flesh. I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of Christians who are into astrology. They, they, I'm a Christian. And then you see on their posts on the social media, oh, today, Taurus, today, Sagittarius, today, Aries, Pisces, Leo, I'm a, I'm a Scorpio or whatever. And I'm just amazed that the, that, that the Christians who are in the sort, who, who are, who are into, um, 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 astrology, but this word sorcery here, if you look at the Greek word, it's where we get the word pharmacy, pharmakeia, pharmakeia, sorcery. That, that, that's, that's, that's very strange. Enmities, strife, jealousy, jealousy, outbursts of anger. That's one I deal with. <laughs> Disputes, dissensions, factions. Remember Paul talked in the church about the factions in the Corinthian church? People were fussing over what preacher they're going to listen to and who's going to sit in the pulpit next to the bishop and all that kind of factions, right? Factions, envying. Envying is a very dangerous, uh, it, envying is, is probably, is one of the most dangerous, uh, um, I'm going to call it spirits, that we have to deal with. The Bible says Pontius Pilate knew that the Jews had turned Jesus over, him, over, over to him because of envy. You, it's one spirit you better be on your A game when you have to deal with is the spirit of envy. 
The Jews said, if we don't get rid of Jesus, we're going to lose our, our, our seat at the table. If we don't get rid of this man, we're gonna, the Romans are going to come and they're going to take away all this, this scam game. I'm using my own words here. The Romans are going to come and take away our scam that we got going here. They're going to come and take away our place and our nation. If we don't get rid of this man, because they couldn't deny what he was doing, they couldn't deny that he opened the eyes of the blind and and uh, and raised you know Lazarus raised people from the dead and healed and uh, had power over nature, walked on water, allowed his his disciples to walk on water. He had all power over nature. He performed many of the miracles that the Old Testament prophets, especially Elijah and Elisha, performed. But there were other miracles that Jesus performed that nobody else had ever done. Nobody else had ever opened the eyes of the blind. No, not even the great prophets of the Old Testament. Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's anointing. Remember, Elijah went to heaven and threw his mantle on Elisha. Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's uh, anointing. Elisha never opened the eyes of the blind. Elijah never opened the eyes of the blind. None of the, work, none of the miracle-working prophets of the Bible, of the Old Testament, had ever opened the eyes of the blind. Jesus came along <laughs> and put some mud, I believe it was, on the man's eyes in John chapter 9 and opened his eyes. There are certain miracles called the Messiah miracles that only Jesus performed. So they couldn't deny what Jesus had done. They couldn't deny it. The people knew it. The people came and tried to, they tried to make Jesus a king. And he escaped out of their hands because he knew that he did not come to, to this earth to be a, an earthly king. He said to himself, my kingdom is not of this world. It was envy. It was envy. That's a very dangerous, very, if you are a gifted person, you probably have dealt with this spirit because there are people who are going to be envious of you. If you have a gift in anything, it could be music. It could be uh, in preaching and teaching. It could be in, in, in any area. There are going to be people who are going to be envious of you. And you've got to always be careful because they will try to bring you down. Envy. Paul said envying, drunkenness, carousing. And things like these, of which I fore, forewarn you, just as I have also forewarned, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not. Paul said, "Will not." You say, "But what about what that reverend said?" Paul said, "They will not." But what about what that denomination? Paul said, "They will not." But what about what what I? Paul said, "They will not." But what about what what? Paul said they will not. Paul said people who live this lifestyle, he's not talking about the Christian who may stumble occasionally through lack of uh, diligence and then repents, sincerely repents. He's talking about people who live this lifestyle. Paul says those who practice such things will not. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what how white their collar is, how much, how far up their neck their collar comes. They, I don't care what their title is. I don't care if they're the head of their denomination. Uh, I heard one preacher on TV the other day. He's over a million pastors. He said he and his wife started, he and his wife, not he and his wife and six families. He said he and his wife started the church that he's now over. And he's, he said he's got a million pastors under him. Glory to the Lamb of God. I don't care if he said, Paul said, if an angel from heaven comes and preaches any other gospel unto you, let him be accursed. Paul says, I have warned you. I have forewarned you. People who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So if you know, you know if they don't inherit the kingdom of God, you know what they're going to inherit. Then Paul flips the script by the, uh, by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, so we grow in grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when we walk in the following. See, before we got saved, we walked in all those other things I just mentioned, sensuality, fornication. I remember when growing up, we used to play with, in my home, we used to play with a Ouija board. <laughs> we used to play with a Ouija board. You know, the little Ouija board, and you, 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 you look and see if the little thing is going to move when you're sitting around at night, and you got some candles... Witchcraft. We used to play with a Ouija. There was a Ouija board in my home growing up. Sorcery. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. These are the things that are, are, are inherent to our sinful nature. Paul says, you've been born again. You got to walk away from this stuff. Envying. And again, that, that one, that, that envying, we could, we could spend a long time on that one. Maybe another time we will. Drunkenness. Drunkenness. That was part of the problem in the Corinthian church. The people were um, taking the Lord's Supper and mixing it with their own worldly lifestyles. They were mixing it with their common meals. They were mixing it with drunkenness. And they were, they, they were, they were disrespecting the, the, the Lord's Supper. Paul said, you're not discerning the body of Christ. Christ is our Passover who was sacrificed for us. The Lord's Supper is a sacred occasion, a solemn occasion. But there were people who were disrespecting it and Paul said, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And, when, and the word sleep here is always used, that word sleep is always used, is always used to describe the death of a Christian. Sleep is never used to describe, especially in the New Testament, to describe the death of an unbeliever. It's, it describes the death of a believer. He says, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. In other words, God used death, uh, weak and sickness, weakness and sickness, and death to discipline that situation because the Lord's Supper is very sacred. Anyway, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, the outgrowth of the Holy Spirit, as we walk with the Lord, the outgrowth of the Holy Spirit is going to be love. Why? Because God is love. Before we got saved, we walked in eros love, erotic love. I remember before I got saved, when I first went into the military, there was this young man in the service with me, and he would... And he 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 had Hustler magazine. He was he would always show me stuff in Hustler magazine. If if anybody remembers Hustler magazine, Larry Flint, and he would show me these things. And, and, and I wasn't saved, so you know I've never really been one in into pornography. When I was growing up, um, I didn't see any pornography in the house. My dad had uh, Playboy party jokes. So if if my dad was into pornography, he did a good job of hiding it. I saw I I saw Playboy party jokes. And those were jokes you told at cocktail parties, you know, not, nothing. But I never experienced and was into pornography. But when I went into the military, there was this guy I was in the service with and he had Hustler. And he, he used to always show me stuff in Hustler. And there was this one guy in Hustler called Chester the Molester. But I'm not saved, so it's no big deal to me. I'm not for it. I'm not against it. I'm, I'm, I'm amoral. Okay, Chester the Molester. Ha, ha, ha. But the point I'm making is that's the stuff that we walk away from when we give our lives to the Lord. We, we, we are transformed from eros love, erotic love, to agape love, divine love. 
were also transformed from eros love, erotic love, to philios love, brotherly love. So Paul says here, love, joy, peace. He is our peace. Hallelujah. Who have made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. We have joy. We have the joy of the Lord. Patience. Patience. That, that's a fruit on my tree that some, <laughs> you know, you see, you, you see a piece of fruit on the tree and, and it looks like it doesn't want to bloom. Pati I'm not a very patient person. I'm not. I wish I were. I'm, I'm not a very patient person. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I've got some fruit blooming on my tree, but that patience, that little, that little fruit that's patience, for some reason, it, it won't fully block. I'm not a very patient person. There's something within me. I'm not very patient. I'm not proud to say it. I'm not proud to let you know I'm not a very patient person. I'm not. I should be more patient because patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not a very patient person. Kindness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I try to be kind to people. We ought to be kind to people. Acts of kindness I've never forgotten. People have been kind to me. I've never forgotten it. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice these are the opposite of the works of the flesh. Self-control. Being able to have, being able, including with our tongue, to know when to speak, when not to, to know when to act, to know how to act, to know what uh, acts to engage in and what acts to not engage in. Engage in. Self-control. The person who lacks self-control is, is not walking in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Paul says against such things, there's no law. There's no law that says thou shalt not have kindness. Thou shalt not have self-control. Thou shalt not have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, meekness. There's no law. The Ten Commandments didn't say thou shalt not have love. The Ten Commandments said thou shalt not do the other things. Thou shalt not commit idolatry and, and adultery and stuff like that. So Paul says against such things, he says there is no law. Meaning, in essence, he's saying there is no condemnation because the law came to condemn. The law said, Paul used the example. Paul said, I had not known lust except the law had said thou should not covet. I had not known there was, I had not known I was breaking the speed limit unless I saw a sign that says speed limit 65. And then I'm doing 75. So it's the law that came to condemn me. The law said 65 miles an hour. The last speeding ticket I got was in 2013. I'm leaving Buffalo, New York, driving down the New York State Thruway to come back to Georgia. I was going to stop at some friends' uh, home in Binghamton, New York, and I had just bought a new car. I still have the car. Just finished paying for it. Glory to God. <laughs> and uh, and I got stopped for speeding on the New York State Thruway. I'm probably doing about 75 in a 55, something like that. So the law comes to condemn us. The law comes to point out the flaws that are within us got that speeding ticket. Speeding ticket was about $300 and it was on, you know, on my license for X amount of years, etc. So unless there was a law that said 75 miles an hour is the speed limit, Paul said, I've not, Paul said, I've not known lust except it said thou shalt not covet. So the law comes to condemn us, but the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ does not come to condemn us. It comes to liberate us. He says, gentleness, etc. against such there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus 
have crucified the flesh. Glory to God. Woo! It's tough staying on that cross. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh. See, we want to serve the Lord, but we don't want to, we don't want to be on that cross. We want to serve the Lord uh, as long as he's working miracles. We want to serve the Lord as long as they're the, the, the throngs of, uh, of uh, Palm Sunday. Glory to God. We don't want to serve the Lord when it comes time to Calvary. Paul said those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. You're going to have passions and desires as long as you, until the undertaker or Jesus, the upper taker comes to get you. You're going to have passions and desires. I'm 63 years old. I still have passions and desires. I ain't, but the Bible, the Bible says, get on that cross, boy. <laughs> the Bible says, get on that cross. And some of us say, no, it's going to take more than, it's going to take more than three nails. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest. Get on that cross. See, we want to serve the Lord on, on Palm Sunday when, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, son of David, Yeshua HaMashiach. We want to serve the Lord when he's riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and we're riding right behind him. We want to serve the Lord then on Palm Sunday. But oh, when it comes to Good Friday, we start to scatter. I don't know that man. Glory to God. Who? Jesus, who is that? I don't know him. I heard about him. <laughs> See, we want to serve the Lord when it's beneficial to us. Right? We want to serve the Lord on Palm Sunday when the miracles and the wine is flowing and the, and the crowds are in adoration. We want to serve the Lord. We want to serve the Lord then. Uh, there was a time when Jesus was speaking in John and he began to say some hard things about except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. In other words, except you go all the way with me, except I become, uh, except you and I become one. He, wa he wasn't talking about cannibalism, although his critics thought he was talking about cannibalism. He was saying, except I become you and you become me, except we become one. I am the bread of life that, 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 that if you eat of me, you, you'll never die. Not as your fathers ate bread in the wilderness and they're dead. So he began to say these things. He was, he was calling the people to commitment. And some of them said, this is a hard saying. I, Lord, I, I, I was with you. I wanted to be with you, you know, through the glory, <laughs> through Palm Sunday. But now you're talking about Good Friday. And the Bible says in John, and it's, I think, I don't know if it's a coincidence, it said many of his disciples turned back and walked no more with him. And I don't know if it's a coincidence, but, but that passage is John 666. <laughs> I don't know if that's just coincidence. I don't know. Who knows? But the passage where it says many of his disciples, not born again disciples, but people who have been following him, listening to his teachings. Because in those days, all great teachers had disciples who followed them, John the Baptist, etc., and it said, many of his disciples turned back, turned back and walked no more with him. And the verses, I thought, I just found it very um, ironic that the chapter and verse is John 666. So, so, so what, so what we're saying here is that if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. 
If you're going to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Bible says they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. That means that flesh is on the cross. That means those nails are in there and it's painful. Those nails were painful. Jesus literally died on the cross. That was painful to have those nails, have those Roman soldiers put, and I don't know how big the nails were, but put those, they had to be pretty large to hold a man's body on the cross. They couldn't just have been some wooden, you know, carpenter nails that you nail your cabinet, you know, if you fix your cabinet. They had to be pretty large nails that could hold a 200, 250 pound man's body on the cross. So it's, it's, it's painful. It's painful to die with Jesus. Paul said, I die daily. Glory to God. It's painful. It's painful. But we have to do it if we're going to say we're mature followers of Jesus. Now, if you're not going to be a mature follower of Jesus, then I'm not, I'm not you know, speaking about you. But those who are going to be mature followers, who are going to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're going to have to get on that cross. Not, on, not only do we have to get on the cross, we're going to have to be broken. When the Roman soldiers would crucify somebody, they would come, and if the people were still alive, they would break their legs. Glory to God. Don't get me started here. So they came to the thieves, and they broke their... Even the thief who accepted Jesus, the one who, who, who Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise because you believe in me. But the Roman soldiers still ended up breaking his, breaking his legs. Because that was their practice. It was, their, it was part of their sadism. They would come and they would break the legs of the people on the crosses so they could no longer support themselves on the crosses. This would speed up death. It would also, of course, intensify the pain. But it would speed up death because they would end up not being able to support themselves. They would literally be asphyxiated to death. But even the thief on the cross who accepted Jesus had his legs broken. And when they came to Jesus to break his legs, he was already dead because the Bible says the Passover lamb, not a bone of the Passover lamb shall be broken. So they, they couldn't break Jesus' legs because God had decreed that not a bone of the Passover lamb shall be broken. So when they ended up coming to Jesus and he was already dead and they didn't break his legs, they fulfilled prophecy without even knowing it. But here's my point. Even that thief who accepted Jesus on the cross he had his legs broken. You're going to have to, and when I say you, I'm talking about we. We're going to have to get on that cross, and we're going to have to be broken. <laughs> it's painful. It's painful. It's painful to say no to sin. It's painful. I wish I could tell you that you know. I wish I could tell you it's not. It's painful to say no to sin because your, your flesh, your desires, your will are screaming the Bible says, Peter said, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. And the Greek word for soul is psyche, your mind. It's a war. It's warfare against your mind. It's a warfare against your mind. You, you, you want to serve the Lord. But in order to serve the Lord, you know you got to crucify that flesh. It's painful. Because your flesh is what you've been used to all your life. Fulfilling the Bible, Paul said in Ephesians 2, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Listen to this. And of the mind. And we were by nature the children of wrath. 
even as, even as others. I'm, I'm in the midst right now of a, of a 70 day fast. And there's some things that I've, <laughs> there's some things that I've uh, had to say no to. And it's like, Lord, if you don't come, come strengthen me here. I'm in, I'm in like the, like day 30 of a, I started on March 13th uh, of a 70 day fast, no meat, no sweets, eating a lot less. Uh, so day, so March 13th was the day I started and it was in like May 22nd. But there's some things that I've had to deal with since I've been on this fast. Like, Lord, if you don't, and I know he will, but Lord, if, if you don't keep me, if you don't hold me, this is not going to end well. You see that? So it, abstain from fleshly lusts. The Bible says they war against your mind, your suke, your psyche, your mind. It's a warfare. It's a constant warfare. And a lot of people yield to it. A lot of well-intentioned Christians yield to it. But, it, but the more we yield, the less we can grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who belong to Christ, notice he's not talking about people who are not saved. He's doing the same thing John did in his epistle. John always made a difference between light and darkness, those who are saved and those who are not. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, as Paul said in Romans 8, right? Those who belong to Jesus Christ. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his, right? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified. Oh, I wish I could tell you it was easy, but you would know I was lying because you, you've had to deal with stuff. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. I think about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, and, 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 and he's, he's sweating like drops of, great drops of blood. This is... Uh, I think I think I looked up the word Gethsemane, and, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it means place of a decision or something. I can't remember. But he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this cup. He's not talking about a cup of something to drink here. You know he's not talking about a cup of something to drink. Because when James and John... And their mother came to Jesus and the mother said, as all mothers want, what, want what's best for their children. I want my boys to sit on <laughs> I want my boys to sit with you in your kingdom on your right hand and on your left. And Jesus, you know, he, he respected that she's a mother and she wants what's best for, her, best for her children. And Jesus said, now, can your boys drink of this cup? that I'm going to drink and be baptized with my baptism. He's not talking about water baptism. He's not even talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the baptism of suffering. Can your boys uh, drink of my cup? Can your boys, these little fishermen, <laughs> glory to God. Can your boys drink of my cup? Can your boys take a, partake of my baptism? In other words, Jesus was saying to James and John's mother, you, what you ask for, you don't know what you're asking. They will indeed partake of my cup, of my baptism. They will indeed suffer for me. And so when we see Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, remember Jesus is the God man, 100% God, 100% man. When he walked the earth, he never stopped being God. He only gave up the outward display of his glory, the Shekinah glory. 
but he never stopped being God, but he was totally man. So in, in the garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus, the man, father, because he knows the horrors of Calvary. Jesus had never experienced death. Remember, Jesus is eternal. Jesus was the word before he became uh, flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus had never experienced death. And now he's about to subject himself to the horrors, not just death, but Paul said to the Philippians, even the death of the cross. The cross was brutal. The Romans got it from the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians, and they put their own sadistic twist on it. The cross and he knew he was about to subject himself to human, to this total humiliation. I came to do your will, O oh God. Make me a body. I come to do your will. Yeah. But now he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not as I will. He prayed three times, just like Paul prayed three times for that whatever that uh, thing he was dealing with to be taken from him. Jesus prayed three times. The disciples were all asleep and stuff. Not as I will. And that's what we have to do. And it's painful. It's painful because you've lived all your life for yourself and for the devil. You were, you were, the Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this world, according to the spirit of, of, of the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that even now works in the children of disobedience. And so you live your life fulfilling your desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature. To ch and now here we are now being called to walk in holiness and sanctification. And not a lot of people, relatively speaking, not a lot of people are willing to do that. Because it's painful. It's tough. It's calling on us to make a decision to say no to sin. And let's face it, sin is pleasurable. Anybody who tells you sin is not pleasurable, they've never sinned. Sin is ple The Bible says Moses gave up the pleasures of sin for a season to suffer with the children of God. When he suffered, when he gave up Pharaoh's throne, when he gave up the riches of Egypt, he had been brought up as Pharaoh's son. The Bible says Moses gave up the riches of Egypt to suffer with the children of God, with the children of Israel. And that's what we're being called to do. We're being called to give up the indulging of the pleasures of the flesh. Sin is pleasurable. It was pleasurable to me. I don't know what y'all were doing. Sin is pleasurable. It feels good. Tastes good. Tastes good. Feels good. But Paul says, those that are Christ, now you got to put that on the cross and, and make sure the nails are big enough to hold you there. Because if you don't put the, if the nails are not big enough to hold you there, you're going to, you're going to come off that cross and you're going to begin to engage in things again. You're going to back, what we call backslide, you're going to backslide and begin to engage again in those things of the flesh. Paul says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. All right, so that's what Paul said. All right, now watch what Peter says. Peter's going to say almost the exact same thing. We're still on the same theme. Now, I just read out of the NASB. Now I'm going to read out of the NIV. 
I'm not crazy about the NIV. I'll give you, I'll just be honest. But they say the NIV is based on the oldest manuscripts. So whatever is based on the oldest manuscripts should be the closest thing to the original Bible, the original Greek and Hebrew. So they 